Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Now, at one time, it was the thing all money was tied to. Today, gold seems to be the thing that investors rush to in times of uncertainty. Does gold play any part in the way the economy operates, other than being just something else people can invest in and try and keep their money secure? And how good is it at doing that? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, gold, we have been obsessed by it, haven't we? Take the Californian gold rush, for example, when the non-native population of that state rose from 800 in March 1847 to 100,000 by the end of the following year. And it's been around since uh, around 3,600 BC. Well, long before that, of course, but that's when the ancient Egyptians started smelting it. And it was the goldsmiths who created money from it, basically, by issuing uh, promissory notes for anybody who'd stored gold with them. And we still use it today. As an alternative to currency, it is the ultimate safe haven. When we're unsure about the value of bonds or equities, we buy gold. So why gold? I mean, it's seen as something that maintains its value when uh, times are tough. But only surely, Steve, because we tell ourselves that it retains its value. I mean, that's so we buy it when the market is down. That pushes the price of gold up. And we basically do that just because we've just told ourselves it's a limited resource if we buy it when there's nothing we're worried about buying anything else we're going to be safe with gold but surely it's only because we're telling ourselves that's the way it's always been well, this is actually the, the uh, one of the most amusing videos I've seen on that front uh, is the comedian who's behind the Five Star Movement in Italy. And I've forgotten his name um, uh, straight, straight away. But he was the guy who founded the Five Star. He can't actually run for office because he was involved in a car accident where somebody got killed. And uh, that means he got a manslaughter charge. That means he can't actually uh, run for office in Italy. But he was the person who set up... Um, the Five Star Movement, and he made well before he became a politician. He had a video talking about the nature of money, and uh, as soon as I heard him talk, I thought, I wish this comedian was a politician because he actually knew what he was talking about Uh, because saying money is basically a promise to pay. But he said, what about gold? He said, well, you know, what happens with gold is you dig a hole in the ground, uh, throw away a huge amount of muck, get uh, a, a tiny amount of gold out of it, and you go put it in safe, which is another hole on the ground. And you, mm. he said, so what's going on there? He said, it's just the fact, the fact that we believe that it's worth something, which is why we do it. But, I mean, in, 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 there actually is, it's worth discussing the physical reasons why gold has this aura. Um, well, it's a limited resource. No, I mean, well, it's, you know, it's, yeah, but, yeah, but it's not a resource. It's an element. Yeah. This is something which, uh, uh, which t- took science a long time to work out that it was this because, of course, you know, we, we, if we go back to the, the, pre, the uh, pre, uh, before Newton, if you go back to Newton himself, I see a lot of people criticise Newton because, oh, yeah, Newton developed the laws of calculus, but he was also an alchemist. Well, nobody at the time of Newton knew that there were such things as molecules or atoms. 
They mm. were simply unknown. So you had this heavy thing called lead, another heavy thing called gold. Uh, you saw chemical reactions without knowing that's what they were that could convert. I don't, don't think it was actually done at the time, of course, but you know, take two gases, hydrogen and oxygen, light a flame. Apart from a large explosion, you've also got water. Um, so there was this capacity to convert one thing into another. And why shouldn't somebody as intelligent as Newton think it was possible to find a formula to convert lead into gold before we knew that both lead and gold are elements? Uh, not things you can change using chemical mm. reactions. And, of course, the other thing about it is how do you actually make gold? This is a technical question. How do you well, make you, gold? We, you don't make it, do you? You can, <laughs> you can dig it up. You, you, you in the universal sense, how does the universe make gold? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know. Compression okay. compression of like any other element, isn't it? I mean, it's... Uh, well, in fact, in all the elements come from you know, reactions inside. Apart from the, the Big Bang itself, the elements come from reactions inside suns. And because mm. uh, you know, you're lucky, you know, our sun turns hydrogen into helium. That's where the source of its energy, uh, nuclear fusion. Yeah, higher up, and you can start getting through all the, the breakdowns that occur at high levels of, of pressure as... as, as as, as stars go through their life cycle, they exhaust the helium, it compresses, you start getting helium formed into carbon and then another reaction. Higher and higher still, you finally get iron being formed. But that's the last thing that can be actually formed inside a star. To get the heavier elements, and of course there are heavier elements than iron, than iron gold being the one I'm, I'm leading up to, they are formed in supernova explosions. So when you get an enormous star, a star like the size of of Betelgeuse, which is about a thousand times the diameter of the sun and and uh, ten times its mass, mm. that finally explodes. The huge explosion creates everything except gold. Right. All right. Gold, okay. gold, gold is made, as astronomers tell us now, by the collision of two neutron stars. Now, neutron stars are things that are so dense they think that something about, I think it's something of the order of 10 or 20 kilometres across. A neutron star that big has the mass of the Earth. So, uh, in short, until yeah. we have another collision of neutron stars. We ain't going to get much more gold. We won't right. have any okay. more gold. Okay. So, it's okay. a finite resource, which is absolutely, what I was trying to lead to. Fine. And that is, yeah. that is why we believe that it is, uh, it's going to hold its value. It's seen as inflation-proof, and it's why banks, and I don't get this, banks hold reserves in gold. There's 184,000 tonnes of gold mm. sitting in bank vaults and government reserves. That's where most of it is. There's a small mm. number of wealthy individuals, but most of it is sitting in banks and with governments. Coming back it's to the whole idea that gold, you know, gold is dug, dug up from one hole and put in, into yeah. another. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they don't trust money. Yeah. Banks that don't trust money, they've got to have gold because they don't trust money, and yet they're telling us to trust money uh, because they say they promise to pay the bearer on the money, uh, but they still want the gold. Go yeah. figure. <laughs> well, I mean, you come back and the, the gold has had a, the, in, in terms of one, the, the, you know, the, apart from being a very attractive metal, and the one of the reasons it's attractive, it's the very bottom of the of the the, the fusion table that you get out of the out of the elements. So it's it's got the the, the lowest potential energy. It's, it's a very I don't, I can't, I'm not doing a good job of describing this, but in terms of fusion, that's the end of the line. Mm. Uh, you can't do anything more in terms of getting energy out of it, and that's that's and it, it makes it it's absolutely non-reactive. But there are some things it reacts with, but, no. but so it holds its value. It can't be destroyed. Basically, can't be destroyed, and it can be. You can actually, I mean, this is what the Egyptians found. You can hammer it down to the stage where it's virtually an atom thick. So it's able to be very, it's very malleable. All sort of stuff. It works in jewelry. We're found in in technical uses in the. 20th century, it's an essential component 
in circuit boards because of low resistance. Mm. So all these things make gold very, very special. But in, in because of this, if you go back in, in history, uh, you made the comment about goldsmiths becoming the first banks. Yes. That's, that's a myth. Is it? Okay. Okay. Because my, uh, well, let me, get, let me back that up and you tell yeah. me what's wrong with it then. Because yeah. my understanding was that goldsmiths were basically uh, holding the gold for people and, uh, and then uh, people were coming and asking for their gold. And but very often, I mean, they were given a, basically given a, a receipt, weren't they? Here's my gold. Okay. Well, let me give you a piece of paper. When you want your gold back, just bring that piece of paper back. And then eventually, uh, goldsmith realized that people weren't coming back that often to ask for the, uh, for the gold. So they could actually issue, uh, more bits of paper than they had gold to substantiate it and that's that's, that's something which which you know is feasibly a historical historical event but it postdates the the invention the creation of money by several thousand years right because if you, take, if you look back at the archaeological records of the Sumerian civilization, which two of my uh, good mm. friends are, uh, Cornelia Wunsch, who's the absolute expert on the language, she translates the cuneiforms, and Michael Hudson, the economist, yeah. is also an anthropological bent to him. And, and the currencies then weren't gold, they were uh, rocks or stones or. No, 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 they were promises to pay. And this is right. the other thing, it's because money is fundamentally a promise to pay. It's on a tablet or whatever. On a yeah, tablet, yeah. 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 When, when you go, there's actually an Australian researcher called Jane Gleason who wrote, wrote a a book called, I think called Double Entry, explaining the evolution of, uh, of accounting. But she mm. makes the point that, uh, again, we're looking at the early records, but the earliest civilization that, that created, there was, was a large-scale civilization, was the Sumerian civilization, you know, what we now call uh, Iraq, that part of the world, uh, when it was fertile. And that civilization started off uh, with, you know, we, we, we all know of cuneiforms. These are the clay tablets that have got... Yep. You know, things pressed into which are actually writing. Well, it turns out they're preceded by what the archaeologists, first of all, thought were kids' toys because you had a little um, a container like a small pot with a lid on it. And then inside the lid, there'd be all these uh, little objects, miniature cows, miniature uh, sheep, miniature goats, et cetera, et cetera. It turns out that was actually accounting. It wasn't a kid's toy at all. It was a way of recording what your debts were in a symbolic sense to somebody else. Sort of like an early form of taxation, wasn't it, really? It's sort of like so good, So money was uh, was in effect being issued so that you knew how much you, you had to pay back to the to the community. It was, it was more like a sense of debt. There were both commercial debts and household debts. Mm. There were ways of recording the, the debts between commercial entities, which were not, not the ones which were subject to jubilees back in those days, and right. the debts between... Uh, households, which were subject to the jubilees, so, but I think gold. Perhaps yeah. gold became more commonplace because we started to uh, we started to trade more. So uh, what actually, might work? It's actually what we started to do. We started to fight more. Mm. But this is where in trying to find out where gold actually played a role as a form of money, and by money I mean something which actually enables transactions. So yeah. if you look at tra- in like a Sumerian civilization, the transactions were mediated by a form of credit. Um, when you get to the Romans, the Romans invent. I think the Romans invented coins. Maybe, maybe in the Greeks before them, but coins became a symbolic representation of the debts between you and the state, and and they were became the form of commerce. And actually, you know, the, the Roman coins continued being learnt, used long after Rome ceased to be an empire because they became a, a unit of account and people accepted exchanges of them as a means of, of finalising transactions. But gold got into the end of the act. Largely, whenever we had enormous scale political military conflict, because 
when you had the you, know, you had the fiat money uh, money created by kings uh, by local rulers. Yeah. Uh, that that wouldn't be worth a great deal if you go and kill that king. Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. So, mm. uh, the, so the, the, when you had a stable period in 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 uh, you know, the political realm in the medieval period, certainly you know, post ten sixty six, let's say, take that as our you know Middle Ages date. Um, then, when there was, there would commerce would in each of the realms would be driven by. Fiat coins created by the by the ruler, recognised and enforced, and all the taxation issues come in there as well. You were taxed in these coins. You had to earn these coins, and so on. Mm. And that actually played a large role in establishing some kingdoms too. There's excellent work by Christine Dassan, who's a, a professor of law at Harvard University, into the evolution of uh, successful uh, com- commercial. Uh, states in the U- particularly in the UK and she's found that you had certainly between the the, uh, the Romans leaving and then the formation of the the feudal states as well uh, there was a large period where you could see the country falling back to a subsistence level of, of agriculture and, and industry and then I've forgotten which particular king it was but one of the kings of England and kings of part of England not the whole thing instituted uh, what I think ultimately became tally sticks and that led to a dramatic expansion in commerce. So the, rather than taxes taking yeah. away from economic activity, this tax and the and this accounting system actually enabled it to flourish and you had a growth of the kingdoms then. But, but gold came into the act when you had things like the 30 Years War and the 100 Years War because why accept the coin of a king who may be dead after the conflict? Yeah. So gold holds its value. It's tr- it's trusted, but maybe holds back the economy because there's only a certain amount of it and you can't well, yeah. issue issue more gold in the in the way that you could issue more tally sticks which is but, unless you use it as a backing and that that situation i described where goldsmith are actually issuing uh more <clears throat> uh, more ious um than it had gold to to support it because he was assuming like banks do today that not everyone's going to rush and ask for gold at the uh, at the same time but isn't it interesting that banks still today are still yeah. using gold and I did some uh, some numbers to try and work out how much gold there is, what it's worth in the world. Yeah. So gold is set to reach about $2,000 an ounce. That's what they're reckoning. It's, it's not far off that now. There are... Uh, Fifteen hundred, actually, looking at the most recent. Yeah, but there's talking talking that it might reach a two thousand point. So if it was to reach two thousand, there's three hundred and fifty thousand ounces in a ton, and so that by my reckoning, all the gold in the world is worth about thirteen trillion dollars, or it would be if it reached two thousand. The size of the world economy is about eighty or ninety trillion. Hmm. So gold is equal to about one sixth of the total economy. Uh, I'm not sure if that's constant. (laughs) <laughs> but I, but I feel like it sort of should be, shouldn't it? If it's if if the uh, if the economy is growing, you'd expect the value of the world economy. You'd expect, and this is some sort of reserve. And tell me if it is or isn't. But I mean, the fact that we're using it as reserve, aren't we? You'd assume then that, that as the world economy grows, gold should be roughly increasing in value proportionally to it, shouldn't it? Well, it actually tends to go. I mean, my my, my overall perspective on gold. Over is, time, it'd be peaks and troughs, but over time, no, you- no, it, it it not doing too well on that front for the last decade. I mean, uh, mm. gold peaked at seventeen hundred and fifty back in the uh, about 2012, 2013, and it's rising again now. But it's it's lower now by about two hundred and fifty dollars an ounce than it was 
um, about eight, seven, eight years ago. Well, uh, 90, January 1980 apparently was when it reached a peak. It was 850 an ounce, which adjusted for inflation is way higher than much, it is today. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it hasn't actually done the uh, what, what? What do you get out but, of? So the question is why then? Because if it, if it's being used as a reserve, surely it should hold its value according to the size of the economy, shouldn't it's, it? It's being used as a speculative instrument against volatility and fiat currency. Right. That's what I see it as being used. So it's useless then. And and, uh, and why and why would banks be using a reserve? Why would they be res- resorting to gold then on something which is being used for speculative? Purposes? It's partly because they've, they've got to have a they've got to have a portfolio of assets that they back themselves in. You know, mm-hmm. so they, they they have a range of assets they hold, and of course most of that gold is actually held by central banks, I think, rather than by private banks in their own right. Yeah. Uh, so if you, there was a period, and they talk about the gold, the gold, the gold standard. Um, Gold got all this myth, uh, you know, because of the uh, a range of circumstantial issues. The so gold was used at various times, and particularly the Hundred Years' War, the Thirty Years' War. Gold was a form of commerce between within nations because you couldn't trust that the head of the nation state was going to survive the next battle. So mercenaries demanded payment in gold or silver. Uh, so that gave them that uh, that aura of being used as money because they were used as money, but only periods when social trust in, in a, on a large scale had broken down and you didn't trust that the king's money anymore so bang gold gets into prominence then also of course if you're trying to settle relations between different countries uh, then one country is not going to accept the money of another country uh, outside the situation we're in now with the, with the American dollar so in that situation international trade was settled by net transfers of gold uh, so and there was a period where countries tried to give some stability to their currency by fixing their value to gold and then you get also out of all this stuff you get the particularly Austrian uh, inclined economists or Austrian uh, fanboys, more a better way to describe it, um, they tend to believe say, well, money is gold. Gold should be money. And, and there's this argument, you know, that ultimately everyone's going to fall back, we're going to use gold for everything. And I, I, I find this bloody annoying uh, because it's mistaking the nature of money. Money is fundamentally a promise to pay. It is not a commodity, not, and nor is it backed by commodities, which is what people think it should be. Uh, but gold always comes up as the one that people think is going to be ultimately replace replace uh, fiat currencies, which everybody, you know, particularly the the, um, the Austrian crowd, who are incredibly critical of. They see ultimately we're going to go back and rely on a, a commodity basis and the ultimate, uh, because we're gold, can't, can't degrade, uh, etc. But also can't increase in supply without some significant the, cosmic yeah. event. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's then right. how do economies grow if you've got a, a, a fixed supply of money? Well, this comes back to one of the issues with with period when we did have anything resembling the gold standard, when countries tried to maintain, particularly the United States, tried to maintain the value of its currency relative to the amount of gold in circulation. Uh, that is often put across by Austrian economists as a period of, you know, golden age of capitalism. When you take a look at it, the, 18th, the 19th century is the main period in which that was tried, along with various experiments in, in free banking. So anybody could establish a bank for a while as well, and you had multiple currencies circulating in the states as well there was a financial crisis every 10 to 15 years now that uh that you know whoopee do if you look at what we've been through in the last 10 years as well obviously there are frequent financial crises in a non-gold standard period but when you take a look at the the long-term data there were more periods of negative growth uh in the 19th century than there were in the post post gold standard 20th century uh there was 
far more booms and busts, in other words, under the gold standard than there have been since. So it's put across as a halcyon period, but in fact, you take a look at the data, it wasn't halcyon at all. And there are a couple of periods in the 19th century where a decline in, in demand uh, was the aggregate demand was so great, people were afraid of revolution. And of mm. course, if you look at the, the, the classic style, uh, The Wizard of Oz was actually about uh, the gold standard and biometallism. So um, there's a, a, a mythological... We've so much on this program. Why the connection? Just talk me through that. Hmm. Oh, unfortunately, you got me. When, you, fin- when you finish drinking your coffee, yeah, <laughs> glass, of water, glass of water thing. <laughs> oh, right, okay, okay. Uh, it was uh, I've forgotten the writer of the world. You got me totally, totally exposed here on that one. The, I've forgotten the author of the Wizard of Oz, but he was a fan. He was actually against the gold standard, and 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 the the yellow brick road was a reference to the gold standard. So it was actually yeah. a, it was a tale trying to to break the power of the gold standard over over silver as a biometal approach was anti anti the gold standard so um you know, mm. victor fleming is the guy's name you're thinking of i think so uh, uh, thanks to dr google but what i don't <laughs> i don't get from all of this yeah. is um still you know getting back to my point i can see why gold would have would hold value to investors so you are worried about uh, shares falling you're worried about inflation. Mm. You're worried about, um, you know, you, you you don't want to buy bonds. You don't want to buy shares. Uh, so you buy gold because it's seen as being a bit of a, a safe haven. I can see why, uh, you know, somebody who's trying to get a mixed portfolio might say, yeah, let's have gold because it, it's 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 always going to be there. It's going to, uh, in a way, it's not influenced by, directly by interest rate decisions by central banks, for example. It's not going to lose any value. Um, it, it it might lose a bit of value, but but over time, it's not going to be a, a you know it's it's a low risk investment. I can understand why people might think that, but I, I still don't get why banks have to have it. Why is most of this money sitting in uh, in reserves in central banks around the world? When, for example, if you are the U.S. Fed, you have the U.S. dollar. The the, the, the you will always have you know it's 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 not going to suddenly be become worthless. Why it it, it it is as valuable as gold, surely? Well, again, central banks used to hold a lot more gold than they hold now. Uh, under the under the period when you had the, when we had the idea of the, when the Bretton Woods Agreement was first put forward, as well as wrongly being based on the American dollar rather than the bank or as Keynes wanted, uh, the dollar was also set at set at thirty five dollars per ounce. That was the rigid yeah. price that was supposed to be maintained, and the impact of that. Um, was that because America's running a trade deficit over that period of time, uh, ultimately the number of dollar claims that were accumulated on America uh, by other countries became astronomical, so much so that de Gaulle's, uh, the, the, the trade surplus France was running at the time with America, de Gaulle accumulated enough American dollars to be able to threaten that he was going to take them all to, um, and now I've forgotten the name of the, <laughs> of the what, what's the, the fort? Fort Knox. Fort, Fort Knox. Knox. He's yep. going to go to Fort Knox and demand payment in gold, and the amount of dollars he could have tendered would have actually broken uh, broken yep. Fort Knox. He didn't have enough. Didn't have gold to supply it. So that broke the gold standard. We went up from thirty five dollars an ounce to two levels: so thirty five for official and forty two for commercial use. Well, that gets back to my those down. figures. That yep. gets back to my Bank of Ember figures, doesn't it? Showing that the, the amount of gold is roughly one sixth of the total economy. There isn't enough gold. Uh, to to meet the size of the uh, the US economy, I don't think, for example. 
No, nothing like it. And so to, to me, in a funny way, Bitcoin has replaced gold as the mm. object of speculation by people who believe that there has to be something backing uh, fiat money or their anti-fiat money in general, and then Bitcoin is seen as being non-fiat money. Mm. Uh, so but gold has always been that that vision that, that we're going to have a breakdown of fiat currencies and gold will take over. So if you take a look at the long-term uh, data on gold, you find two absolute bubbles. One, uh, when we went from the, the breakdown of, of Bretton Woods, when that was $35 an ounce and 42 and then so on. And then it broke out to that first peak you mentioned back in 1980. In, in dollar terms now, that's about $700 an ounce. But of course, uh, if you factor in pretty much 40 years of inflation, that's a lot higher price than it is today. Then it went nowhere for something like about, uh, well, nowhere against nominal terms, but of course, rising to some extent in inflation adjusted terms until 2007. And from that point, it took off like a rocket up to peaking at uh, the highest price it's ever been, which is $1,800 an ounce back in, in 2011. Uh, and then it's gone nowhere since then. Now, I've, I've, I had a, I was being annoyed, particularly by one little jerk on my debt deflation blog back in Australia who was always buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. I'd like mm. to know what he's doing these days. I think he was buying it at 1750 an ounce, and 10 years later, he could sell it for 1500 uh, which is not exactly a positive return. So no. it's, but it's, I think the, the, the mythology. And that is, that they, yeah, and people are saying that because, as you say, because they believe that uh, fiat currencies are not going to hold their value or something's going to go wrong. We're going to see a total crash of the system. So what then we get, uh, we, we we only have one sixth of the economy left if we're entirely reliant on gold, again, going by those Or the, or the those gold figures. price rate increases by a factor of six, of six. which is why they buy it. So the mm. fundamental cause of that gold price is speculation and what I find rather than the cost of production. Uh, so and I'd like a, a lot of my friends made money out of that, by the way, yeah. uh, between 2000 and 2007, but they haven't made any money since but it's a nonsense isn't it to expect that fiat currencies globally are going to disappear that the us dollar is going to uh, become worthless so so gold what we're saying then surely is that gold really doesn't have any intrinsic play, part to play in the economy it is just in a, the monetary system to, no yeah, and i think that's 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 i think it's slowly dawn, dawning on gold bugs I've, i found many of those gold bugs in the last decade than i found in the decade before put it that way mm. uh, and i think what they've become they've gone from being gold bugs to being bitcoin bugs so Bitcoin has, because of all the, I mean, the, 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 the fundamental difficulty that I've always pointed out with gold is that uh, how are you going to do your transactions? Am I going to buy my books from Amazon by sending them a flake of gold? Mm. Uh, particularly the price increases by a factor of six to replace the, you know, the, the disappearance of fiat money. Um, no, you're not going to physically ship it around. You're going to be relying upon certificates anyway. So you're still caught up on the whole thing. You have to trust somebody. Yeah. And the, the the fundamental thing about people who are fans of gold and fans of Bitcoin um, and this in in general is that they they don't like to have to trust. They'd rather say, "Here's my physical object," or "Here's my non-trust based worth transaction," which is what Bitcoin provides instead. So Bitcoin has taken the place of gold in people's visions of a system which can replace fiat currencies. So if central banks said, uh, "Well, look, we've got all this gold which we're holding here," clearly it's 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 um, you know there's, there's no re it, it doesn't have a role 
in uh, in the monetary system. We 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 can get rid of it. Let's sell it off at whatever price it's worth today. Let's let jewelers make uh, nice necklaces. Uh, let's make uh, women and you know and men, if they choose to, to look more beautiful. Uh, we'll just have a lot more jewelry around uh, because you know gold as a speculative instrument is is pretty. You know, it it doesn't really change anything materially. I mean, why wouldn't they do that? I mean, what, what what nothing would change, would they? If they if the if central banks just got rid of all their gold. Well, they are doing that to some extent. I mean, that's part of what some of the profits of central banks come from. But mm. uh, at, at the same time, they've, they they like private banks have to have a a range of of assets in their portfolio, and yeah. gold because gold has been regarded as a financial asset for the last right. several centuries. Then gold is one of the ones they'll buy. But equally, they can decide to sell. Uh, you know, if they, they need to top up their transfers to Treasury, then one way to do that is to sell their gold stocks because the gold stocks will end up back in a bank anyway at some point. Yeah. And and in that sense, they'll turn up on the reserves of a of a physical bank and they may well as be regarded as part of the reserves it has with the central bank. So, so the other safe havens um, are currencies, aren't they, like the yen and the Swiss franc. They're the two major safe havens, to an extent the US dollar, uh, less so uh, lately. Um, but certainly, you know, when times are tough, we see the, the value of the yen shoot up and, uh, and secondary to that, the Swiss franc. So and investors like the yen because it's got a strong current account surplus. So why does that make, why does having a strong current account surplus make the yen such a safe investment? Larger because you're not going to be forced into devaluation by needing by, by your needs to to buy overseas goods. Mm. If you if you have a, and this is one reason I differ with MMT on the attitude to the trade surplus. If you're running a trade surplus, you're insulated from uh, dangers of running out of uh, international currency, i.e., the US dollar, uh, to buy foreign goods. Now, if you're running a trade surplus, that's never going to be an issue. So the two the two types of countries people return to as a safe haven response when there is a, a financial crisis or worry about you know different different national economies. It's the US dollar because it is the producer of the international exchange currency. And as countries running large trade surfaces like Japan and when you can and, and, and Switzerland, where you can buy the currency, of course, it's not such a good idea to try to buy Raminbi. Right. Okay. So the takeout today is really that gold is just another speculative instrument. It's not really got any role to play uh, in the uh, in the, the world of monetary policy. It did in the past, obviously, because it was tied to, uh, to to currencies. But since that's gone, uh, really, it's not that relevant anymore. Yep, basically. And don't believe the shysters trying to sell you gold, often in money magazines, isn't it, where you'd hope people uh, w- would know better, that uh, trying to tell you that uh, gold is the pathway to future fortunes. Yep, and it, it hasn't been uh, for, you know, for the last 10 years exactly a growth opportunity. So I think that's one reason I'm seeing less by gold bugs around. <laughs> Good talk, Steve. Catch you next week. Bye. All right, that's gold sorted out. Nothing to see here. And that's it for this week on the Debanking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. See you again next week. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.